Well, let's look in Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Uh, consider a message tonight entitled Borderline Christianity out of uh, Genesis chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse uh, 1. It says, Now Abraham journeyed um, thence towards the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of uh, Ger, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had uh, not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he, said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, uh, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Uh, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now, therefore, restore the, to, uh, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told all the, these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What sawest thou, that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely... The fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, yet indeed, she is my sister. Uh, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness, which thou shalt Show unto me at every place whither uh, we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them to, unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver Behold, it, he is to thee a covering of eyes unto all that are with thee and uh, with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray together. My Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. 
Uh, may we uh, consider uh, this story, this event in the life of Abraham, um, living life really on the edge. Uh, Lord, so many times as believers, we just try to uh, just live on the edge of what it means to be a Christian. We allow ourselves to walk down the borderline or the tightrope, if, if you will, between the world and between Christianity, and then we wonder why we stumble and why we fall. And so I pray we might be able to glean some just simple, practical truths out of this story that will help us to have a discerning heart. And it will help us, Lord, to uh, be willing to, to walk far away from the things that would defile us and walk close to, closely to the God who loves us. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts tonight, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. What a tremendous story here before us, uh, the life of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, Abraham, as we read through the uh, passage here, Abraham had been dwelling in the plains of Mamre, which means fatness or blessing. That's where I want to be at, Mamre. Amen. And <laughs> so oh, uh, he was being blessed of God. And uh, God certainly was directing his life, and now he is being moved, and as he's moving, uh, he's concerned about what is going to be the response of those around him because of his wife. Sarah was a very good-looking woman, and he was concerned about their response. He moves towards the south, it says in verse 1, and he says he Abraham journeyed from thence towards the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourn in Gerah. And so uh, Mamre means fatness or blessings. Kadesh means holy. And so as he's traveling to the south, he's going to be between that which is holy. And Shur means wall or in the wilderness. And so then Gerah means lodging. So here he is, he lodges in Gera, which literally he is between that which is holy and that which is worldly. He is between the place of being in the presence of God and the place of being in the world. And so borderline Christianity, he's living life on the edge. And oftentimes what we do is we place ourselves on that edge constantly all the time. And it's like we want to see how close we can get to the things of the world without stumbling and falling. And then we wonder why we stumble and fall. Uh, we wonder why our children will stumble and fall because we allow them to be involved in events and things or whatever it may be uh, in the realm of worldliness. And then we wonder why they want to go the way of the world. And so we need to be careful about this borderline Christianity, living right along the edge uh, so that we do not stumble and fall. This morning I preached on Bible prophecy. I'm going to be preaching some more messages on Bible prophecy. But certainly one of the things that we learned through studying the Word of God in reference to Bible prophecy is we need to far, be far away from the world. We need to be removed from the trends and the, and the positions that's going on in the world and be closer to our God and walk with our God because there's many, many temptations. There's many, many opportunities for us to flounder in our Christian life when we certainly want to honor the Lord and we want the blessings of God upon us. And so we need to be in the area of Kadesh, which is holy. 
Uh, we don't need to be in Shur, which is the wilderness. And, uh, and Abraham is right between the two as he travels southward, and he's left a place of fatness and blessings. And when we get into that position of getting close to the, uh, the wall, getting close to the border of the wilderness, we're endangering ourselves of losing the blessings of God. And so he's being on the border, and it's going to cause him to fall. Now, we're going to go through this chapter and just look at each verse uh, and just think about some things that took place. First of all, realize this, that ignorance is no excuse. And uh, oftentimes we think, well, if I can just act like I'm ignorant about what's going on or under what my responsibilities are to God, then I'm going to be released from those responsibilities. You know, uh, somebody's driving down the road and they're speeding and uh, the police officer pulls you over and you say, well, I didn't know the speed limit was 55. I remember my brother, when he got out of the Marine Corps, he was stationed out in California. And of course, back then, the, the speed limit was 65, well, 70, everywhere you went. And uh, he came back <laughs> to New Jersey, and he was driving. He was driving 65, and the police officer pulled him over and said, you know you were speeding? He said, I wasn't speeding. I was running 65 mile an hour. <laughs> and the police officer said, well, you were speeding. He said, no, I wasn't. I was only doing 65. He said, it's 55 here. And uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And oftentimes what we do is we think I can act dumb about the situation and God's going to release my, me from my responsibilities and obligations. And we're just, well, I didn't know I was that close to the world. I didn't know that I was going to stumble and fall. Ignorance is no excuse. Notice, first of all, in reference to Abraham, we know the story. He told Sarah to tell everyone that she was his sister and notice in verse 2 that a lie will not protect. In verse 2, it says, And Abraham said unto Sarah his wife, She is my sister. Said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So he thought, in the mind of Abraham, he thought, Well, if we lie about our relationship and lie about the fact that you're my wife and we'll just say that you're my sister, nobody's going to mess with you. Nobody's going to be interested in you, and uh, well, I won't have to worry about it, but I'll be protected because they won't know that you're my wife. But the reality is a lie did not protect Abraham. The lie did not protect Sarah. The lie did not protect Abimelech. And oftentimes we think, well, wait a minute, I can get away with some things that I can just get by. I just won't be honest about it. They just tell a little white lie, they say, you know. And uh, what's the big deal? No, it never protects and it never gives a positive outcome. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we're not to bear false witness. The Bible over and over again warns us about being dishonest in our conduct, in our business transactions, whatever it may be. And it's because lies will never protect. And it certainly did not protect uh, Sarah and Abraham and Abimelech. And so ignorance is no excuse. Abimelech could not use the excuse, I didn't know she was his wife. He was still accountable to God. And so lying's no excuse. But notice another thing here, that sin always brings forth death. Notice in uh, verse 3, it says, And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. How would you like God to say that to you? <laughs> Behold, thou art but a dead man. 
And then he explains why. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Boy, what a lesson that we can learn as far as what our relationship should be. Uh, men and women should not be flirting with someone else's husband or wife. Uh, we should not be uh, interacting with them. We should not be connecting with them. God takes that very personal. And uh, God is, is upset with Abimelech, and he's acting just out of ignorance. He doesn't know that she's his wife. But God said, wait a minute. Uh, you're going to have to answer and give an account for your actions, even though you're ignorant of it, because sin always brings forth death. In Ezekiel 18, 20, it says, In the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And you can't escape that, for the wages of sin is death. And uh, the principles that God has established in his word is that when we sin, the death penalty is upon us. And so in his ignorance, he still is accountable to God, and sin has put his life in danger of being lost. And so realize that tonight, that borderline Christianity leads us into sin because to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's what it says in James 4, 17. And so uh, we are putting ourselves in danger of the wrath and the judgment of God. You know, in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul told the Corinthian believers that because they had defiled the Lord's table, that many of them were sickly. And he said, many of them slept. And so they had tasted death, they tasted the judgment of God because of the fact that they were defiling of the, the uh, Lord's Supper. And so sin always brings forth death. It will not get better the closer you get to the world. It will not get easier by allowing yourself to pattern your life after the illustration and examples that are in the world. It always brings forth death. I see another thing here in verse 4 and 5. That innocence and integrity are not replacements for holiness. There's a difference between integrity and holiness. There's a difference between innocence and holiness. And in verse 4 it says, But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself, said, he is my brother, in the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. He's pleading his case. He said, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything purposely to defile this woman or to defile myself. I did not purposely try to do something to disrespect Oh, Abraham, her husband, and uh, God says, just looking at him and telling him, basically, hey, your integrity and your innocency does not replace holiness. And there's a lot of, listen, there's a lot of people that in the world's standards, in man's comprehension, we would consider to be people of integrity. They're not Christians. We would consider they are honest people. We would consider them to be innocent in their actions but that does not release them from the holiness of God. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. 
And the only way that we can be holy is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's why we must be born again. And so man can't stand in the presence of God and expect to be accepted into heaven based on his innocence or his integrity because he must have received the righteousness of Christ through faith in Christ's sacrifice. And so realize this, when you get close to the edge, you start living just in line with what the world has to say uh, it, listen, you are violating the holiness and the sanctification of God in your life, and you're endangering yourself and those that are around you. And so innocency and integrity are not replacements for holiness. Notice in verse 6, And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the, the integrity of thy heart, for I was, I, I'm sorry, for I also withheld thee, from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. And so even in our ignorance, God's grace protects us. And I bet Abimelech was thankful that the Lord was the one who impressed on his heart not to touch this woman. I bet you Abimelech was thankful for the grace of God that prevented him from defiling himself and defiling this woman. And uh, we might be ignorant of situations uh, in how close we may be getting to the world, but it's God's grace that brings conviction on our hearts. The impression of God that this isn't right. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, when you get ready to do something and you just don't have peace about it, there's no settledness in your heart. That's God prompting us to warn us that, wait a minute, you're going in the wrong direction, you're getting too close to the edge, you need to back off and you need to move away from it and come into my presence. And so God's grace is always there to protect us. I'm thankful that the Lord is able to convict us and the Lord is able to restrain us from doing things that would destroy our lives and the lives of others. So even in our ignorance, God's grace protects then in verse 7 and 8, notice knowledge of the holy demands a response. In verse 7, it says, Now therefore restore the man his wife. Well, now he's, not, he's no longer ignorant. God's revealed to him what needs to be done. Now he has an obligation to respond. And so he says, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not... Know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Notice that he's affecting his whole household and the decision that he's about ready to make. Therefore Abimelech arose early in the morning and called his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. And so uh, knowledge of the holy demands a response. If you know what God has commanded us to do and commanded us how we're to live, then you are responsible for what God has revealed to you. And we cannot ignore the fact that God wants us to be an example in this world, and he wants to, us to be a source of protection for those that are lost and uh, that they might come to know who Christ is. And there's certainly we cannot accomplish that if we are allowing ourselves just to constantly get closer and closer and closer to the edge. 
And uh, I, I remember several years ago, I was reading some articles about the Grand Canyon. We were talking about the Grand Canyon in the back there uh, before the service. And that's probably why it came to my mind, amen. But anyway, we were talking, I was reading some articles about the Grand Canyon that there's no guardrails along the edges and stuff. And I've never been there, but that's what they say. And people have fallen off because they got too close to the edge. I'll guarantee you, you won't have to worry about me falling off. Because there ain't no way I'm getting close to the edge and look or try to look over that thing. I can see far enough, amen. But oftentimes, that's the way we respond to things in life. We think, well, it's not really going to bother me. It's not that bad. And, uh, you know, I'll be all right. But the reality is you're not going to be all right. The devil is stronger than you are. The devil is, is a deceiver. He is accuser of the brethren. He is a conniver. And if he can get you just to get as close to the edge as he possibly can get you, you're going to stumble and fall. And so you have to decide, well, wait a minute. I know I can't, I can't plead ignorance because ignorance is no excuse. So when I, I understand what is holy and I understand who God is and I understand what God desires of me, then I understand also that I'm obligated to respond to the command of God. And so ignorance is no excuse. I see another thing in verses 9 through 13. Pretense is not the answer. Oftentimes what we do, we kind of try to plan things out. And uh, I, over the years, I've had people move out of the area. We've had a lot of people move out of New Jersey. Everybody wants to get out of New Jersey, amen. And uh, we've had a lot of people move out of New Jersey. And I've talked to quite a few different people before they make the decision to leave. And it's always interesting to me. I have people come, they'll say, well, pastor, you know, uh, uh, we believe God wants us to, to move somewhere else. And I'll say, well, that's you know, I don't like it, but I understand if you feel that's what the will of God is for your life. And they'll say, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We've got this job and all that. And I'll look at them and say, well, what about church? Oh, well, we'll get a church when we get there. Famous last words. And they, they, they have a pretense. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to accomplish. This is what we feel the will of God is for our life and the reality is the decisions they're making don't line up with the Word of God. So how can something that doesn't line up with the Word of God be the will of God for your life? And the first thing you ought to do in your Christian life is, is if God is, you feel God's directing you to move or whatever, the first thing is to find out what churches are in the area. Find out what church you're going to go to. What ministries you can get plugged into. What type of doctrinal position that church is taking. And people over the years kind of look at me goofy, but I'm going to tell you, I've watched, I've watched plenty of people's lives fall apart and get ruined because they go right out to the edge. And they try to live on the edge based on a pretense of what they are in their minds, they think everything's going to work out. So pretense is not the answer. And here's why in verse 9. One man's action leads another man to sin. In verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. 
One man's actions leads to another man to sin. And uh, Abimelech is, is really offended by this. And Abimelech is very concerned for his people in this situation because Abraham had not taken in consideration the pretense of his decision. When we go into the land, let's tell everybody that you're my sister. There was a pretense that was a lie that was living on the edge, and he took no consideration of the effect that it was going to be on someone else. Now, we have to be careful when we talk about living our life on the edge or living as close to the world as we can. We start making decisions and judgments based on what our concept of what we are expect, our expectations are for the outcome. And what we do is we make those decisions violating biblical principles, and then we end up hurting other people. And uh, there's been many a person who has fallen by the wayside because of the fact of an action of a Christian who wanted to get as close to the world as they could. Uh, there, I, I go out soul winning and I knock on doors and pe there's people that would say absolutely say they will not go to church because of the fact of some situation in some Christian's life that offended them just like Abimelech is offended. And they will not surrender their life to the Lord. They will not come out to the church. And it's because of the fact somewhere some Christian lived life on the edge with a pretense that they thought they could do what they wanted and how they wanted with complete disregard to what the principles are in the word of God, and they became a stumbling block to someone else. I think the worst thing that we could do is be a stumbling block to someone and cause them to fall by the wayside or have them fall in a way where they will never trust Christ as their Savior. So one man's actions leads another man to sin. Now, I understand every person is responsible for their own sin. Every person is responsible for their own life. But I'll guarantee you there's many a person who is away from God and will not come to Christ, and it's because of the actions of somebody else who just decided, I'm going to live right on the edge. I'll tell you, it's discouraging to me. After 35 years in ministry, I see people I went to Bible college with, and I see what their lives are. It's discouraging. They're, they're out in the world. They're defying themselves. Uh, it's, it's alarming to me of Christians that I've seen over the years. And they, they get saved, they get on fire for God, and the next thing you know, they go right out after, out after the world. And they start living right along the, the edge of the world, and the next thing you know, they're completely in the world. I see their kids fall by the wayside. I, I don't take that lightly. It breaks my heart when I see what goes on in people's lives because they just won't decide they have to stay away from the edge. They need to get completely surrendered to the Lord and stop making a pretense about what you're going to do in reference to disregarding what God has commanded in your life. So one man's action leads another man to sin. But verse 10, the Christian sin perplexes the unsaved. Notice in verse 10, it says, And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? You know, he's saying, I'm confused. Uh, you say you're a man of God. God revealed to me that you're his prophet. Uh, God has so instructed me that you'll pray for me. God has also revealed that I'll be blessed because of who you are. And Abraham, I don't understand. 
I don't understand why you came into my nation and why you came into my presence and you felt as though you had to lie to me to be able to protect yourself. I'm confused. And the world is very perplexed by someone who says they are a Christian, but they live an ungodly life. They don't understand it. How can they understand it? I don't understand it. You don't understand it. And so our actions perplex the unsaved. Notice we must be careful that we do not do three different things here in verse 11, 12, and 13. First of all, we have to be careful that we do not prejudge people. Notice in verse 11, it says, And Abraham said, Because I thought, here you go, that we're in trouble. Right there. He might as well stop the conversation and start over. He says, because, Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will slay me for my wife's sake. Prejudging people. I have found this over the years that when we make prejudgments of people, I can almost guarantee your thoughts about that person will be completely wrong. You cannot prejudge people. Abraham's going into this place and he's saying, well, wait a minute. I'm concerned because I don't think they fear God in this place. What was the basis of that? What was the reality of that? Uh, well, certainly Abimelech was willing to listen to what God had to say and God's warning in his life. And so prejudging people will cause you to come to a wrong conclusion about someone and, and I, I've seen this happen. I've done it in my own life where I, I think of myself, well, this person's going to be this, that, or the other, whatever it may be. And then you meet them and then you get involved with them and you interact with them and you find out your thoughts about that person are absolute lies. That the devil gave you to hurt your uh, relationship with that individual. So don't prejudge people. Let God reveal to you who they are. Let God build a relationship with people. And, and, and let God do a work in someone, else, uh, someone else's heart. You know, you could have people come in the church and they might not look like you look. And praise God for that, Dave. Amen. <laughs> they may not look like you look. They may not act like you act and everything else. But that doesn't mean they're not spiritual and you are spiritual. Don't prejudge people. I've found over the years there's a lot of people I thought that were just ungodly and worldly, and after I got to know them, I found out they were people who really walked with God and loved the Lord. And I had to repent of that attitude. Abraham has a problem as he's going into the land of Abimelech is that he prejudged him. Secondly, in verse 12, he rationalizes his lie. Notice in verse 12, and he said, yet indeed, she is my sister. Uh, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. You know what he's doing? Instead of acknowledging he's in sin and he lied, he's trying to justify it and uh, trying to rationalize uh, in his mind that it was okay for him to lie. Now, listen, don't rationalize your sin. Don't rationalize your worldliness. If you're slipping away from God, just confess it, acknowledge it, and get away from the edge. If, 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 you, if you're 
Now, you've done something wrong. I remember I got in trouble years ago when I was a teenager. My dad told me, he said, boy, just be a man, speak up and tell the truth and take your punishment like a man. That's what he told me. And I said, well, okay. So I did. And, uh, and I didn't want to have the punishment that would be worse. Amen. And, uh, but we have a tendency to want to rationalize what we're doing, you know. Uh, you know, just like I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, I got pulled over years ago for driving a bus out in the left lane, speeding and everything else. It was very easy for me to rationalize that and say, well, you don't understand, officer. All the trucks were jamming up the two right lanes and they were driving slow and I got a schedule I got to keep. And you don't understand, I got to keep moving. No, 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 no. You're speeding. Pull it over and pay the fine. Amen. Don't, don't rationalize the lie. Don't rationalize living on the edge. You say, well, well, preacher, you just don't understand. You know, my, my kids really like doing this. No, you're trying to rationalize doing wrong by living on the edge of the, of the world. Don't rationalize it. If it's wrong, get it right. And then follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, old Abraham is trying to rationalize his lie. Notice in verse 13, uh, predetermine our actions. Do not predetermine your actions. In verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is the, thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me, and at every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. Predetermined actions. Uh, the reality is, you don't know what God wants to do in your life, so don't predetermine what you're going to do. Be open to the leadership of God. Be open to the protection of God. Be open in the direction that God may want to lead you, and Abraham had already premeditated lying as he would come into the different cities and a different area of the country. And so predetermine our actions. Don't do that. You need to live your life saying, well, wait a minute. God has a will. God has a perfect plan for my life. And in the center of his will and fulfilling his plan is a place of protection, the place of blessing, and the place of encouragement. And so I'm just going to live my life wherever I am in accordance with God's leading and let God take care of those things. So ignorance is no excuse. I can't say, well, I didn't know I was getting close to the world. You know where you are in your walk with God. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but you certainly do. So ignorance is no excuse. Pretense is not the answer. Well, I think I'll figure out how everything's going to go, and then everything's going to happen that way. I remember my wife and I, we were in Bible college. We came home. We didn't have any money, had enough money to get home. That was it. Didn't know how we were going to get back to college. Uh, we, was on, we had a burden for our family, so we decided we were going to do an old-fashioned Christmas time. And uh, we, we drew up these little invitations because we didn't have any money to buy invitations or anything. So we drew these things up and sent them out to our families, and, and uh, we said, uh, we're going to have an old-fashioned Christmas. We want all of our family to be there, and I set up my brothers and my sister, and we had quartets, and, and we did uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, duets and solos, did special music. We did everything, and preached, and all this, that, and the other, and we purchased all the food with no money, 
And, uh, you know, it just was an amazing thing that, that God enables us to do. But we, listen, in my mind, I had already predetermined when I get there, this is what's going to happen. It didn't have, she's laughing because it didn't happen at all. I thought, well, you know, when we get there, uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, somebody will give me some money. Feel bad for me, the poor preacher boy, you know. <laughs> He's going to give me some money. Uh, they didn't. And I thought, well, maybe my pastor will give me a love offering. He didn't. And uh, uh, we are home. We were praying about it. We said, man, we got to get back to Michigan. We don't have any money for gas or anything else. And uh, I even forget who gave us some money. Somebody gave us, I don't remember. But somebody completely out of the norm, completely away from the predetermined idea that we had in our head, completely separated from everything that we were doing, uh, gave us some money uh, to uh, be a blessing to us. And I remember we had enough money to get gas to come back, and we, we could, didn't have mon enough money to eat, but we stopped at a vending machine, got a couple of uh, ice, uh, what, ice, what was it? candy, junk food, amen, all kinds of stuff. We were eating healthy, and we got back. What am I saying? Predetermined actions never accomplishes the will of God. We have to surrender ourselves completely to God's determination, not our determination. And you know, in our life as a Christian, things have never worked out. Not what, I don't think anything has. If I stop and think real quick through my mind here, nothing has worked out how I thought it was going to work out. I had all kinds of ideas, all kinds of predetermined actions that I thought we were going to do. And I found this, that God steps in and says, no, stop, leave it alone. Pretense is not the answer for your life. I'm the answer for your life. And we need to live in that realm. So ignorance is no excuse. Pretense is not the answer. And then consecration leads the way. And notice in verse 15, 14 and 15, uh, atonement uh, that can be made uh, for the wrong. Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell therein, uh, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And so there was a right that was, a wrong that was made right. There were animals that were given that could be sacrificed. There were servants that were offered to be a minister unto Abraham and his wife. Sarah herself was given back to Abraham. Uh, Jesus Christ reconciles us through the consecration of his own life. And he atoned for our sin. That was sin. We sinned in ignorance. We sinned in pretense. But Jesus Christ offered himself of, to, that he might be able to atone for all of our sins. There's a position that is acknowledged in verse 16. It says, And Sarah said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand, and unto Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given to uh, thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee, and I thought this was interesting, he is to thee a covering of eyes unto all that are with thee, and with all other, thus she was reproved. He is a covering of eyes. Uh, may I say this, that, that men, you are the covering of protection for your wives. You don't use your wives as a source of protection upon yourself. 
Abraham had gotten things out of whack. And Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it be not that of the outward adorning of plaiting of hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. And here it is in verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and not are afraid with the amazement. See, Abraham was not to be a source of endangerment for his wife. Abraham's position was to be a position of covering for protection. And Abraham had to learn that, wait a minute, it's through consecration that we are protected of God. And God protects us through our relationship and position in Jesus Christ. And then there's reconciliation in verse 17 and 18. You didn't think we'd make it to the end, but we're there. Notice our reconciliation in verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech. The interesting thing is, it's God told Abimelech uh, that this man is a prophet. So you need to restore his wife. Don't touch her, because he'll pray for you. And so Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. There is reconciliation that is made as Abraham cries out to God for Abimelech. And God honors Abimelech's willingness to recognize Abraham as a prophet of God. And Abimelech's willingness to restore Sarah, Abraham's wife, to him and allowing God to continue to work in his life. And now he is blessed. His wife, his servants now are able to have children, and God blesses them with children. All of this that took place is in reference to a man who has gone to the edge, a man who's trying to live on the edge and trying to get by, and God has to straighten the whole deal out. Now, I just want to, I want to encourage you with this. God wants to bless our lives. I really do believe that. Prophetically, we're living in a world that, that is rapidly, rapidly uh, falling apart because of the closeness of the return of Jesus Christ. These are not days for us to live on the edge. We need to be just as far away from the edge as we possibly can. And I remember my wife and I got saved. They used to call us Jesus freaks and all kinds of things because of the fact we were so excited about being saved. We were always in church, always doing whatever we could in ministry, whatever. God laid on our heart to go off to Bible college, and I mean everybody thought we were whacked out because the reason it was we were over here in the world before we got saved, and then when we got saved, we got all the way over here walking with God. 
And we were a long ways away from where, what we used to be. And they couldn't understand it. They didn't like it. And they were very upset about that. But I'm going to tell you one thing. The safety zone is back here. Walking with God. The safety zone is not up along the edge. You, you cannot let your children walk along that edge. You cannot allow yourselves to walk along that edge because I'll guarantee you it's going to crumble and you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. And then you're going to have to answer to God for your actions. And so borderline Christianity. Abraham, get away from the edge. Get away from the wilderness. Get away from that land. Get over here to Kadesh where it's holy. And don't, don't move over the other side. Get over this way, over the Kadesh, where God can bless you and you can be a blessing to someone else. Borderline Christianity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Uh, how much we love you and appreciate your blessings. And God, there are those times in our life where we just make decisions and make them completely away from uh, even pursuing our God or uh, considering the will of God. Help us not to do that. Help us not to be drawn and enticed away from spiritual things to walk in a secular world. But help us, Lord, to guide our young people, guide those that are in our families, uh, those that are around us, Lord. Help us to be a good example and uh, not falling into the trap of trying to be like the world. And uh, God, I know, I know there's blessings that are abundant. And so, Lord, draw us close to you, Lord, and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's